Hello to all my little problem solvers. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gathered here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Thanks so much for listening and joining me. I'm eternally grateful that you do. I'm so glad everybody enjoyed the uh, Marijuana Mansion episode last week. A lot of people saying that if Caller ever does open for me, they'll come out and, and check it out. I would love that. I would love that. And uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of good response over there on the Facebook group. If you're not a member of the uh, Beautiful Anonymous, the community on Facebook, it is a, a lovely group of people to discuss episodes. This episode, uh, not the heaviest feedback because it was not the heaviest episode in many ways but you hear things like this on the uh, group jamie said i choked up a little when chris offered that the caller in the future may look back on her life in her current apartment fondly helen said i loved this episode and the rapport you had together she was hilarious and so delightfully naughty and then brian said imagine how good those grilled cheese sandwiches must have been for that guy to steal her pan this is the type of head-spinning discourse we have going on over there in the Beautiful Anonymous Facebook community, which again, it is a good, laid-back, low-commitment, low-key place to check in and uh, talk about episodes, talk about stuff involving the show. Thank you to everybody over there who makes it run, including, of course, the moderators, many of whom have been over there for years and were as appreciated now as they as they were on day one. This week's episode, um, very excited for you to hear it. I hope you get something out of it. It is stressful. It's, it's. I understand now that I'm a parent um, how stressful it is. This is a mom calling from a hospital after her baby had abdominal surgery. Um, tells us about uh, her baby's genetic disorder. Talks about, as you can imagine, all the emotional moments that go along with this process. You can imagine that I am affected in a way that I, I think I would have been very sympathetic a couple of years ago. And now I think it, it crosses into empathy because I have my own son. And Caller also talks about being a teacher and, and, and a whole lot more. It's a heck of a call. I think you're going to look at it finally. You're going to have your own positive feedback for this one over there in the Facebook group. Buckle up and I hope you get something out of this call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host, Hello. Hello. Hi. How's it going? How's it going? It's pretty good. I think it's going pretty good. You know, in the midst of so much insane news, where you and I re- are recording this just as a placeholder in history for anyone listening in the future. This is the morning. It's not even noon yet on the morning we all woke up and found out that President Trump has COVID. So that's, I'm, I'm, like per, on a yeah. personal level, I'm good, but it's it remains a very baffling and confusing world and year and all that. So that's how I'm doing. I second that. I was up at one when when he posted one thirty something. Oh wow! I haven't that's, stayed up that late in a long time. Uh, that's the life of being in the hospital with a baby. Oh no! Wait, you're in you're in the hospital with. With your baby, you said? So, let's see. This is time number seventh visit to the hospital. She's six months old. 
Six months. So, so this is these are visits for the your baby. Not at first, I wasn't sure if you were in the hospital and your baby had come along, but you've had to keep bringing your baby back. No, I'm good. But yeah, so uh, she just had major abdominal surgery two days ago. That's so sad. How's she doing? Uh, today she's very fussy and doesn't want to eat. And probably is sick of her mommy yelling at the doctors <laughs> to do their job. <laughs> I think like what I realized is like every system is messed up. That's the problem. Education system messed up. Hospitals are messed up. 2020 is a messed up year. This is one of those things that makes my heart bleed. First of all, to hear that you have a six month old who's sick and uh, to a degree that requires surgery is heartbreaking. Like we both keep referencing, we're in the middle of this year where no one's having a good time. And then you hear that in the past six months, your year has also been dominated by this. That's so awful. I'm really sorry. It's been kind of interesting because we basically watched COVID unfold like through having a baby. Like I still remember the day I went out on bed rest and the kids, where I worked were saying that there was a virus in China and that there was some virus happening in China and it seemed so far away. I was like, Oh, China. Yeah. And like, you didn't think it was coming here. And then a week later, our baby came a month early and then you could watch like the hospital system, like shutting down basically to like try to contain COVID. Oh, so you've been, you've been in and out of these hospitals kind of dealing with your own madness and your own, what sounds like a really scary situation. And then also kind of an observer to the hospital system in 2020. That, that what a, sorry, Sally, that's a shit year. We were in the NICU and we went from having, well, first actually I found out that I had possibly been exposed for an hour when I was at work before I went on bed rest. So I had to leave the NICU and go finish quarantining at home. So I had five days where I was not allowed to go and see my baby. Oh no, screw um, that. And then I and then I went back and the day I went back, she was having her first surgery, so I didn't really see her. Uh, we were fine. My husband and I would go in, we would get to see her, and then like two days later they were like, Yeah, we're now only allowing one guest to visit the hospital. So you'll have to decide which one of you is going to come in. And you may only have one person the entire day. You may not switch off. Oh, well, all those logistical migraines aside, I, the the first thing I feel like I want to check in on is when you, when you say that your your daughter is is fussy and tired of you yelling. That sounds like the surgery is over and she's awake, and I can't presume okay. I want to hear more about what's going on, but it sounds like the surgery went well and the little one's awake, and that sounds good to me. So they're born with a um, rare genetic disorder, and the rare genetic disorder is also associated with a rare disease. So there's 30 known cases of their genetic disorder um, in the world. Um, and the disease that is associated with it is called, well, maybe I won't say the name so I don't give it away, but it essentially means that she's unlike a typical child who poops when they're born and like that's like the exciting moment as a new parent, she does not have, did not have the cells in her intestines to be able to do so. So I learned a lot about the intestines in the past 
five years of my life between my two girls. And there was a stretch where the audio dropped out. You said there's 30. Uh, no, it's okay. It's okay. Most of the info came across. You said there's 30 cases of this <laughs> genetic condition that people know about in the world. And your, your six month old has it. Did you say your other daughter has it as well? Yep. So, two, so, so your family well, accounts for one fifteenth. Your your family accounts for one fifteenth <laughs> of the presence of this condition within humanity. Of known cases, I guess. Of we known say. cases. I guess it depends how much genetic testing you do. Yeah. We chose not to. We could have selected out the gene. That was a very interesting conversation. So, the genetics people who first asked us if we were related. Um, told us we could select out the gene before we got pregnant with our second. And I looked at the person and I was like, so you want me to say that my first child wasn't good enough and that I should try to avoid having another child like her? Um, and then the person also suggested, or I could um, get pregnant, get tested, and then if the baby had the genetic issue, I could just have an abortion early on and just not tell anyone that I had been pregnant. Wow. And and when you say genetic selection, this would mean, you know, the situation where they would biopsy the embryo, do the genetic screening, right? Keep it frozen, that type of thing, and then say, hey, so. Yep. So basically isolate that one gene out, and then you'd have to go through IVF and hope that the whole process goes through. Right. So IVF, like they, they you'd go on treatments to increase your egg production. You have a bunch of eggs. They say, okay, you got it these many eggs that have it and these many eggs that don't, so we can implant the ones that don't and uh, avoid avoid your second child having to go through this. What a, I would admit, what a roller coaster of how, like you said, to then look at your older daughter and say, well, is that going to kind of mentally or emotionally establish a bar that says that something that, that, that says, She's less than I would imagine. What a what a strange choice to be presented with. I'm like the I'll never forget. We walked into the genetics office. Like she must have been like a couple years old. Like she's had developmental delays and definitely still does. But the geneticist looked at me and said, "Well, she's doing better than I would have expected." And wow. I was like, "Well, what are you expecting from my child then? Like, way to have low expectations." Wow. Needless to say, we didn't go back to her. Yeah, it's it's uh, I mean that's something we all find out, right? There's there's so many. I feel like there's good doctors in this world, and there's doctors a lot of us regret regard as bad bad doctors in the world. Was that the baby? Yes, a baby. baby. Hello, little baby. I hope you're feeling good. Feel about the doctors. (laughs) Yeah. You say hi. Hi, baby. Hi, little baby. My mom didn't care. You feeling okay, so little baby? So we had a 25% chance of passing this off to her. And apparently we should play the lottery because we passed the genetic disorder off again. So is, now we have two girls, same rare genetic disorder. Wow. And is this something you or your husband had? Or is this one of these yeah. things you hear about where if you're both carriers, then it can happen and it's dormant? Like what? Yes, exactly. It's yeah. autosomal recessive. Yeah. Autosomal recessive. So we both just happen to be carriers, and we both just happen to get the one fourth chance two times. 
which is that's, crazy. Yeah, it's a that's a bad that's a bad lottery. Well, that's now. Yeah, and it's hard because now you're looking at the youngest, and you you know like what's to come. So there's like that piece, and then there's also like everything that happens with the baby is like reliving the trauma of the first time around. Right. And so tell me about your older daughter. How old is she? And as far as the, that initial, like, okay, there's not enough cells for the digestive system to, to accomplish its goal, so to speak, it has that corrected itself. Does that take surgeries? Is that something that corrects over time? How's, how's the older, how's your older daughter? My older daughter in terms of the cells in her intestines she actually has um, less of a case than the baby so she had an ostomy put in at like 15 months when they found out that this was a problem and so I changed her little ostomy stoma bag for a few months because her colon was too enlarged to do the operation and then when she was I think it was a year and a half old she had what they call like a pull-through surgery so they literally take whatever part of your intestines has the cells and pull it down to the rectum so that you can then go to the bathroom like everybody else. And now she can go. It's very th- fascinating. No, it is. It is. You're joking and you're very strong. First of all, we're talking about your children and we're talking about doctors who have made you feel wary, who have made you feel like your child's being judged and you're still making jokes. And you're really strong for doing that because you could you could be expressing this through a lot more anger and a lot more fear, and I'm sure you felt those emotions too. So you're joking, and I want to say I appreciate. Lord knows if anybody likes joking in the face of pain, it's me. But I also want to say, being I think parent, it's like the I mean, only way to get through it, right? <laughs> I think so. But having an 18 month old, I have to imagine that because because I was saying before, I want I think one of the things that think that I think makes a lot of us view a doctor as a bad doctor is not even necessarily related to their abilities. A lot of times that comes up, but I think just as often is how do you talk to me? How do you make me feel in the face of all this overwhelming information? Exactly. And that's the biggest issue that I've had. I mean, so the older one's doing well, but you know, most of my girls will be like potty trained late. She's five and a half doing her lovely remote kindergarten. Um, but, you know, she still ha- like she has an IEP. She has a disability. And because the condition's so rare, like the stomach part, that part, the intestines, like we're good. We did the surgery, like for the most part, you know, it's pretty typical. But you don't know like what the genetic disorder means mm-hmm. or what will happen. And so like, you know, she said to my husband the other night, like, um, I want to have a baby like mommy and, and be married. And then I'll have the baby and I'll get a dog. And like, yes, like we want all of those things for her. But the truth is like, we have no idea. Like, does this impact the reproductive system? Does it mean like she'll pass it on and have to kind of face the same questioning that we have? But I said to him the other day, I was like, the only people who are writing their stories is them. And so whatever, like, yeah, they have genetics that obviously make up who they are, but doesn't mean that they're not capable of kind of figuring out ways to get around things and do what they want to do. Yeah. So you said your your five year old, the physical system's up and running. You said there are uh, some developmental challenges. Is that physical as well? Is that emotional? Is that cognitive? I'm wondering where things land. 
like gross motors. Like she was like a late walker. So she walked her first steps like at two. And so most of her one-year-old to two-year-old life was filled with lots of other people who like to say that my child was lazy. Like, <laughs> I didn't know that a one-year-old could be lazy. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like, uh, sure, yeah. But like, so like she's still like, you know, she falls very easily. But like she does not let that stop her. Um, uh-huh. As evidenced by the hospital bills from uh, breaking <laughs> the same part of her foot multiple times. Well, I was gonna say I was gonna make a joke. I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, my guy's 18 months, and there's a part of me that just based on how he behaves now, where I'm like, oh, didn't walk till they were two. My kid wants to, he literally climbed up the couch and and dove face first off of it yesterday, and I barely caught him. I'm like, oh, that you're okay. Once they do start walking, that's absolutely chaos so grass is always greener yeah. but of course this is we don't sit still yeah now i'm glad i'm glad to hear that she, i'm making a joke but of course i'm glad to hear she got to that point and it's so sad to say oh she's broken her foot a couple of times but okay she well she's 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 catching up she's catching up to her peers and that's great you know people used to say like oh just wait till she's walking just wait till she's talking and i'm like yeah we're waiting for it and we, we're excited for it to happen <laughs> and you know, I'm glad she talks. Like, sometimes you can't understand what she's saying, but, like, she has a lot of things to say, and what she has to say is usually pretty on point. She pays attention. And so, like, as much as sometimes I just want to sit down and not be chasing after my five-year-old, like, I'm so happy that, like, she is mobile. And, like, does she go up and down the stairs differently? Yes. Is she good at jumping? No. But I don't know too many careers that will rely on her jumping skills. So I think we'll be okay. <laughs> That's a good parent move right there. That's a real mama bear thing. <laughs> it's true though, right? Like, I mean, okay, like, you know, what, what's she going to be? Yeah. What If I could take away what both of my girls have, would I? I mean, I wouldn't wish them, like, to have this struggle or, you know, to feel different than anyone else. But when I watch the two of them together, I think it's, like probably one of the most beautiful things to see and like they have each other there's one of the supreme examples of our caller who is just so relaxed just dropping an emotional bomb when i watch the two of them together it's a beautiful thing because they have each other hold on grab the tissues grab the tissues on that one we'll be right back All right, everybody, break is over. Let's hear more from this amazing mom. I mean, I wouldn't wish them, like, to have this struggle or, you know, to feel different than anyone else. But when I watch the two of them together, I think it's, like, probably one of the most beautiful things to see. And, like, they have each other. And, like, like, what a gift to give my oldest. Like, here's somebody who's just like you. Because it's really hard to find people with a rare genetic disorder. I mean, built-in support group, right? Two of the 30 from all over the globe? Yes, I did locate. I've located a couple. You have? Facebook's really good at helping you to locate people. Mm-hmm. There's somebody in uh, another state, um, and I looked at the picture of her child, and I was like, oh, my God, I, like, see it. Because there are, like, some, like, slight facial differences, which 
like I don't really see as like being bad. Like their ear lobes are a little bit lower than typical, or like their eyes are slightly wider space. You know, anything they can do to like just add a little thing to the list of associations with the genetic disorder. So, and so you were able to locate one other person in the United States. One other person, yes, who has similar like age kid. But the other people I've located, it's unclear because apparently genes have changed over time and how things are. We located the person, one of the people who the genetic disorder is named after, and we spoke with him. And he was like, yeah, a lot of people are misdiagnosed and it's not really the same as your child. So it's hard to really compare. And this person who was named after, was it was it like a person who they first sort of identified having this or was it a doctor who worked on it and identified it this is that's fascinating to talk to the person who's named after this is a very small universe you're living in i I spend a lot of time google when you're sitting in the hospital is very entertaining um he is a doctor the research was another person he's still alive and he's doing research he has his own foundation but he does research for a different aspect, um, another disorder. There's three with his name in it, which is really confusing. This guy wasn't resting on his laurels. It's crazy, right? It is, and so I'm that's really... That's pretty much my big story. Oh, I'm so sorry oh, and, that you're dealing with You know, me. the unexpected job of... Um, I took. So the ironic part is I'm a teacher, and when I went out on maternity leave and I knew that the baby was going to have all these, like, surgery and, like, that there could be complications... I decided I would take an entire year unpaid. That was before I learned that you could get like two thirds pay from COVID. So I have taken off the entire school year. And then surprise, I'm now a remote kindergarten teacher because I sit with my five-year-olds every day. Now, I want to circle back to something you brought up before, if that's okay. I bet there are people listening and I wonder if there are even people in your life who, when they hear that that you were offered the opportunity to say, hey, do you want to genetically screen for this and make sure that it doesn't reoccur? I bet there are people who are going, well, why why was that something that jumped out as a negative to you? Would that have been a productive thing to do? Would it have been a healthier thing to do? But it's no one else's journey to walk in. Like you said, as soon as you said, well, it, it's going to bring up so much stuff for my older daughter, and now they have each other, those are really beautiful thoughts. But I wonder if you could walk me through that process when when you were told, "Hey, so there is the opportunity to do it this way." What made you feel like, "No, that's not that's not what I want to do?" Because there's a lot of people who might go, "Hey, that I wonder if that would have been a good thing," you know. And that's what the other person who I did find that is what like they chose to do, and you know that's great for them. Uh, it definitely took us a while, hence why they're five years apart, but. I just kept thinking to myself, like, what if you select out one gene, but you're only selecting out that specific gene? You don't know, like, what else, like, you are carriers for. So you're only guaranteeing one thing. You're not, and you're not even guaranteeing anything because that's assuming that IVF works, that you get pregnant and have a successful pregnancy with, like, no complications. I mean, you could have a totally typical pregnancy without this genetic disorder and the baby could come out and have like become be a premature baby and have, you know, issues for that. Or who knows, like maybe they'd be seven years old and all of a sudden you realize that they have a learning disability. So I just didn't want to, like, I thought of it as like playing God and I didn't, I don't want to play God. I just wanted to get whatever I got. 
but that being said, I really hate when people say like, um, well, it takes a special person to raise a special child or like it happened for a reason. I'm like, okay. I mean, maybe reason is like 25% chance of passing it on, but like, there's nothing like special about like me and my husband. Like we just have two daughters who happen to have a really rare genetic condition. And when you, when you use the phrase playing God, I'm wondering, is, are you using that just sort of as the expression or are you a religious person? Did that affect it? Is it that level of, of playing God? No, we're definitely no longer very religious. <laughs> I mean, culturally, but not like in that, but just like, I don't know. Like I think of myself, like I have an autoimmune disorder. Like if my mom had known, like, would she have selected that out and like not wanted to have me? And then like, what would I have been? Like, I love my five-year-old. She is a spitfire and she is funny and she makes me laugh. And she is the sweetest little girl. And like, I would love her to be able to like walk and run like everybody else and not have it be a little bit more challenging. But what if giving up like that made her not have like this beautiful sense of like empathy or her lovely sense of humor? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to change that. I hear you. I hear you. And, uh, it's a hard one. And then also, IVF really is not one. cheap. So, like, then you start thinking about how, like, well, what if you just save that money so that if, God forbid, like, your kids need something someday, like, you haven't just blown it on selecting out this gene. Yeah. Because I, I'm, it's, but funny. do I question it every day? Yes. Yeah. Like, do I feel guilty? Yes, because I feel like I, especially with this baby, the first, as soon as I found out that she had it, like, I was in the hospital and I was like, I did this to her. Like, I gave her this. Like, I basically set her up. I was like, I ruined this kid's life. Was kind of what was going through my mind. So you felt that guilt? Like, you know, like your job as a parent is like, I feel like you protect them and do whatever it takes to make sure like that they get everything that they need. And, like, did I automatically fail my child by not selecting out this gene? Like, I mean, she has no colon now. Like, her life is going to be harder. Like, she is missing, like, a lot of her intestines. And it's not going to be the same as everybody else. So there's always that little little side that says, like, you could have done something different. What a hard series of choices you had to make. I think at the end of the day. Yes, indeed. That's right. That's the, that's kind of the end of the conversation for anybody who's sitting there trying to play Monday morning quarterback on your choices. It's just like you said, what if we, what a difficult thought to have to process. Well, what if we screen out this gene, but this kid demonstrates some, something else. Did we screen them into that unintentionally? Did we, what a hard choice. Cause that's, I'll tell you, I've been sitting here debating whether or not I want to talk about the the following, but um, I have a pretty rare genetic condition, and it's a thing that my mom passed on to me and my brother. And and similarly, where the odds of both of us getting it were kind of rare. And it's certainly not. I want to say too, like not having a colon, not having a digestive system uh, that functions upon birth. That's hey. Ha, hi, little one. Hi, you little one. I feel like 
a couple of years ago on the show, I wouldn't have known how to react to your baby. And now your baby makes noises and I'm like, drop everything and play with that baby. Cause that's where my life is at. No, she's like hungry, but won't eat. It's a very sad case. And she's learned like her intestines are like waking up. And so for the first time, she's like, what is going on in my body? So she just had the surgery that's going to get this system up and running in a way she's not used to. Yep. So before then, she had um, a stoma and I just changed off my bags all the time and that was it. And now it's a completely different world. So she's been alive for six months and, and she's so just now going to start pooping on her own for the first time. Out. Yes. So now we have to protect her little bottom from those terrible diaper rashes because it has no idea what it is. <laughs> what a nice problem that a much better problem to have though. Diaper rash versus colostomy bag. I bet you'll take that. Yes. Although I was a little sad when the colostomy bag was done. Like there's, Something like about like having like an ability to do something. Like I was good at it. I was really, really good at putting on that bag and I could do it. And like I could be like an expert at that. And now it's like, well, what am I an expert at now? Apparently not much because whenever the doctors ask, they don't seem to care. So it's it's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thinking about that, if you lived in a world where pooping wasn't really a thing, and then all of a sudden you're pooping, what, this little, this little baby, what a, an experience that usually happens within a few hours. This little baby's like, what is this? Wait, what? What? What are you rubbing down there for? What are you cleaning up down there? Confusing times for this little one. Um, so I was saying, so I have this thing called nail patella syndrome, and it means I have, uh, deformed hands, elbows, and knees. My left knee is actually so bad that I had a doctor a couple of years ago. I went to physical therapy because it was hurting so bad. And this doctor said, I, I, I she said, I, I have to be honest. I don't understand how you walk on this. This kneecap is so deformed. And I'm going to bring it up as a sob story or to make it about me. Um, I, I don't think I really talk about it too much. You know, sometimes when I've been on TV, people make comments about my hands and that stings. Um, but point being when, when my son, you know, they have the, they do have genetic testing. And when, when I found out that my son didn't have it, I was kind of, it was the very, very strange thing that I have a lot of empathy for you because I was sitting there praying, man, I hope this kid doesn't have this thing. But then I'm also sitting here going, this is very weird psychologically because I'm praying this kid is less like me and is less like my brother and is less like my mom. And we're really, I really, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of physical pain in my family that's rooted in this. And there's a lot of ways that it can be really worse. Like People, I have to always get my kidneys checked because your kidneys can fail very easily when you have this. So there's things like that where I'm like, oh, thank God this kid doesn't have to deal with that. And I'm also now going, well, this kid's a little less like me. And how, I don't know if that hurts or if it's just confusing, but it's a very strange emotion. 
So I, I, I did walk through something similar, not the same, but similar. I appreciate that. I think it's like a, if you've never walked through something similar, like, I don't think you fully understand. Like, after I had given birth, one of the nurses had looked at me and she was like, I have three kids and they all have problems. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm not saying that my kid has a problem. Like, I'm dealing with the fact that, like, we passed on this, like, major genetic disorder. Like, this isn't just like, oh, she has, like, you know, ear tubes that need to be put in. Like, it's something that like, she'll carry with her for the rest of her life. Like, you can't change your genetic makeup. So, it was just, like, a very, like, odd remark to make to someone who had just had a baby. It's clearly said by an effort for her to try to be in your corner. I shouldn't assume. I think you said she. I don't know. Nurses can be guys too. I might be buying into some old school misogyny here. Was yeah, it? No. Uh, was it? Uh, it was a she. Was, a she. So clearly, I'm she's a mom. It, yeah, she's a mom. She's trying to clearly show support, but in a situation so unique and so specific and so hard it must be hard for you to even feel like support is possible from other people on some level of like, you must just be sitting here going, let me form my own opinions before you offer up yours. It must be lonely. It must be lonely to be a mom in this situation. It is. It's like, and then you feel bad. Like it's like a a complete cycle. And like most days, like I'm really like happy and excited that like these are my kids and this is what we have. But like, you know, when you're sitting on an IEP meeting for your kid and hearing all of the things that they can't do. And as a teacher, like knowing the impact of that, like that's a lot to take to take in and to have to kind of digest and just deal with it. I haven't even thought of that. So you're a teacher and I would imagine that you've probably taught kids along the way who are atypical in some fashion and you must see how they have to navigate that, how other kids navigate that. I haven't even thought of that, that you're around kids all the time and you've seen it. So you've seen other versions of kids who are quote unquote different in some way. I mean, I see it like in them, you know, you like look at them and you're like, oh, like that's what it's going to be like. Or when you're sitting like like as a teacher and you're sitting across a table from a parent in the same meeting that you are usually, like you could be the parent in. It's just a very different feeling. You know what's giving me a lot of hope now? And it's, you know, you must be so tired of the phrase silver linings, by the way. How many times have you heard someone try to offer up a silver lining where you're just in your head like, uh, you know what would be a real silver lining? If you shut up, I'm sure that is, does that phrase push a button? You know, that one hasn't come up recently. Okay. It's not on my list yet. My favorite one on the list so far is you're her mom, you know her the best. And then you say what you know about them, and then they don't actually listen to what you actually say. I was going to say, if here's something that actually is making me feel some hope, is that if you continue your career as a teacher, I have to admit, I remember that when I was a kid, the te- the teachers who could actually summon some sympathy, who could summon some empathy, the, t- the teachers who didn't, it's tough. Teachers are in schools too. And I have a lot, uh, me going off on school again. This is like a 
thing they should put on the bingo board for beautiful and honest bingo. But I remember teachers who were concerned with kind of being cool to the kids, like in the kids' eyes, and who were kind of like in high school, but kind of acting like they were in high school in certain ways. And then I remember the teachers who were able to step back and go, hey, this is a little bit of a game you have to play and you're on your way to real life. And I see how you're making your moves and I sympathize with you. And I see the ways that you feel boxed into a corner or you feel different than that because I see how it raised your insecurities. And those teachers were worth their weight in gold to me as a kid who felt different. And I have to bet that if you continue your career as a teacher, you are going to root for these underdog kids and your classrooms are going to be a safe haven for the underdog kids. And that actually is, you can hear it. It's getting me, uh, it's, it's getting me excited to realize maybe the, maybe this is a gift your daughters are giving you in that specific area that I have to imagine there's not going to be a classroom you run where some kid's going to get bullied for being different. I have to imagine it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because the moment I had like my first, I was like, and I was in the class and I was like, oh, now I get my parents get so defensive about things. Like, yes, I have 20 some like kids sitting in front of me as their teacher. Or is that that's a person's one little baby? Like, so yeah, they should put up a big stink about what they want for their child because that's their job. Whereas before I would have been like, oh, this parent sending another email. Well, you're going to be able to suss that out quick, right? You're going to be like, is this a helicopter parent who's mad their kid got a B plus instead of an A? You're going to know that right away. But then I bet you're also going to be able to sense, oh no, this is a parent who's actually scared. This is a family that their home life has some some uphill battles. And I have to imagine you're going to be able to sense that real quick. You're going to be the goddamn teacher of the year, multiple years, because you're well, The ironic part is I also lately have started to think that maybe teaching is not what I want oh, to do anymore. Well, never mind. Throw that bullshit inspirational speech out the window. I'll get right off the soapbox. Yeah, there you go. Another thing that's becoming a big tradition in the show. I I, uh, I have like a movie moment speech where I'm I'm gunning for an Oscar, and then the caller goes, "Actually, uh, yeah, no, dude, that's not what I'm going for." Okay, let's head to a break. All right, everybody, breaks are over. Let's go ahead and finish off this phone call. The ironic part is I also lately have started to think that maybe is not what I want to do anymore. Never mind. Throw that bullshit inspirational speech out the window. I'll get right off the soapbox. I hope you're going to go into finance. You're going to become the Wolf of Wall Street instead. They all say it like, I'll change my opinion. It's just like... I think the education system is really broken. And I think that like I've started to actually like think about that in the way the fact that standardized testing is still something that's being prioritized during a time where we're in the middle of a pandemic is like mind blowing to me. Like yeah. where are the priorities? Have you mentioned what grade you teach? Oh, I teach elementary school. Elementary school. The little guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I wouldn't change it. There and I love the most challenging students. I still remember my first year teaching and the student ripping the bulletin board off of the wall. But like, that was the kid I wanted to get through to. Like that was the one that I was like, all right, like 
we're going to figure this out. The only downside is as an elementary school teacher, you never get to see, right? Like, they move on. You just kind of hope that something has stuck, perhaps. I had that when I was, when I was a Not like stuck academically. No, humanity-wise. How important is that to teachers? Talk to me yeah. about this. Because grades are everything to the parents, right? And grades are everything to the administration. And like you said, this system that has sort of this out of control momentum. As a teacher, when you look at, when you go, okay, your students average this grade-wise, do you care about that half as much as, as, well, these kids seem like they're headed in the right direction as people and I help them get better heads on their shoulders? Which one matters more? Or are they equal? I would imagine different teachers probably say different things. I'm sure different teachers definitely would say different things. I don't know. I don't really know how much like weight should be put into a report card when there's so many more things like that show a student like success. And I think that's like the hardest part. Like as a society, we put a lot of emphasis on like the typical, like you're going to go to high school, you're going to go to college, you're going to get a job. But like there's so many other industries that that's not exactly the path that it goes on. And Yes. It uses like a different type of intelligence for some of these things. Like I look at my students and like that kid's gonna be some sort of engineer or construction worker and they're gonna be really good at it. Yeah. Whichever path they take, like like they're gonna figure out how to use their strengths. Now and whether or not they like ace my um math test, it's like I mean, should they have basic skills? Absolutely. Right, like you wouldn't wish upon someone not to be able to do it. Now, have yeah. you heard me go on my rants about education throughout the history of this show? It's okay if you haven't, but there's been a number of them. Um, probably because I tend to listen to them while crafting in the basement. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, most likely. I love that. The fact that my fan base, first of all, includes like pink-haired anarchists and also people who craft in the basement. I love that. It's it's a source of endless, endless joy for me. But listen, so I've gone on these rants where I'm like, college isn't that important. You don't want to go into debt if you're not sure what you're going to do. And people go nuts. They get mad at me. And I understand. My mom has told me to calm it down. My wife has told me to calm it down. And I get it. And they're right. I shouldn't be bashing the idea that educating yourself is is somehow bad in any way. But I will say it sounds like I'm talking to an actual teacher who might on some level be on my side of the fence. And I'm loving that. Well, I think like we... You shouldn't have to fit like into like a specific box, right? Like it seems yes. like you're just looking for like a bunch of check marks. And like I said, my kid's not gonna like do great at every single thing. Like, and I really wouldn't expect her to. Like if like if she didn't have an area in which she needed help or like struggled with, like she's probably not really learning much if she's not struggling. So like I want her to make mistakes. I want her to Yes. Have things that feel challenging and hard and then figure out how to overcome those challenges and move past them. Absolutely. And if you can't move past them, figure out a way to get around somehow. Because I think about that a lot. And it, it like it, it does. It brings it back to our own children, right? Where it's like, if your kids come to you someday, like I think about this with Cal where I'm like, if he goes, hey, I feel really motivated in high school everybody's telling me the college path is the right path and I can see how that's going to be good for me. 
I'll go, great. And if he goes, hey, I'm not sure what I want right now. So I want to take a year or two off because before I go into debt, I kind of want to get to know the world and my interest in it. I'll go, great. If he goes, I want to go to community college, get that two-year degree while I figure it out, great. I want to go to a trade school, become a plumber, great. I want to go to a circus school. I want to learn how to become a professional clown, great. I, I I want to go to massage school. I want to go to massage school, learn to be the best massager, great. Just find the thing you love. And and if that's the plan, that's the plan. I don't know. I don't know if that needs to be a four-year liberal arts degree. And I'm sorry if everybody gets mad at me for saying that. But what I want and what you want is a happy kid who whatever they've had to deal with in life feels like they get to grow up and decide who they are, that it's not put upon them by the way they're born or the way the system works. They have made some choices that allow them to take their best shot at how they think they will be happiest. Exactly. Like, I don't have a problem solve. Like, I laugh all the time at home. Like, she's very small. And, like, she, but she knows what she wants. And so she started to pick up on the fact that she could just carry her little stool around to go turn on lights and go get herself the cookies that she sees that's so <laughs> Like, that's what kids should do. You should be able to, like, be like, hmm, can't reach the counter. Like, what? What is around me that I can utilize in order to get what it is I'm looking for? Like, that's that, like, problem-solving stuff that, like, isn't necessarily always explicitly taught. But when I see, like, that she's figured it out, I'm like, hmm, great smart of you. And, like, she's so proud of herself. Her new thing is, Mommy, take a picture of this. And she'll build something with blocks. Mommy, I need your camera to take a picture. I'm like, that's pretty cool that she's like gotten to the point that she's so proud of her work that she wants to document it. That's so cool. And then you must be sitting here going, oh, she's she's really adept at problem solving. She's pushing her stool. She's doing this. And then you're sitting here going, I bet that a lot of the a lot of the people who as kids have got to learn how to problem solve, who have been put in a situation that necessitates that in a way that's difficult, maybe they grow up to become the adults who now are the ones solving bigger problems for the world at large. Maybe your daughter's going to grow up and say, hey, I've spent my whole life pushing through stuff. And maybe I'll be the one who uh, who cures cancer. Maybe I'll be the one who who solves global warming finally. Maybe, the, maybe problem solving is the greatest skill you can learn and adversity might enhance that. Who knows? Exactly. Of course, right now she's very set on being a doctor. I can't imagine why. She's only been in the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I'm going to be a doctor. I don't know. There's just like so many things. She knows like about a stomach and about like an unstomy bag. And her her stomach, both her stomachs didn't work. And so the doctors fixed it. But she's like, I'm going to be a doctor too. That's pretty badass. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I love that you're sitting here going, please, I don't want to hang out with more doctors. Come on. I mean, we're very fortunate. Like, you know, you find the doctors that are in your court. Like, we have some doctors, like her pediatrician, who, like, will send us a text message because, like, they think about their job as, like, a whole, and they see the patient, not the case. And, like, that to me is, like, the biggest thing. Like, my, my kid's not a number. Like, I mean, they are. I just clearly, when it comes down to it, it's all about, it seems to be all about insurance and money. But she is a person. And, like, 
even if they don't feel like they have the time of day to give her the time of day, that's what she deserves. And I would hope that like, in the same way that like I when, my, when I have students in my classroom, I try to like treat them like they would be my own children and what I would want for them. I would hope that doctors would do the same. Yeah. And I'm not sure everyone does. It brings up a question. If there's only 30 identified cases in the world, are there even doctors out there who specialize in this? No, not really. Well, except the guys who study it. No, the geneticist best and most um, what was the phrase? Uh, sometimes the best information comes from the parents and the research that they do, like on Facebook. And I was like, okay, so you want me to do my own research and then share it with you? So, as my husband and I said, our children aren't research papers, so thank you very much. We'll pass on the offer of on information. At first, I was really into it, though. I was like, all about searching, and then I was like, what is it going to tell me? Like, like one of the things is they have sparse hair. My kids don't have sparse hair. Like, okay, so I know, like, that doesn't do anything for me. I'd rather just put my time and energy into getting to know the children in front of me and meeting them where they're at instead of some research paper online. It's, again, a thing I identify with where... I read about this thing I have. And, and like you said, you start to feel like a research paper and you're going like, oh, like the thing I have, there's one doctor at Johns Hopkins who just got fascinated with it. You know, there's not that many people with it. And they're, I'm reading all this stuff. Oh, your kidneys could fail young. Uh, you could get glaucoma. Uh, it could develop into rheumatoid. And there's a part of me going, well, I don't, I don't want to read about if these things happen. <laughs> I, they happen, but I don't want to sit here and fear my whole life. And then it's funny, even like you just said, sparse hair. And you know what's a funny thing is my hairline is a big joke. I make jokes about it in my comedy. And even beautiful anonymous fans, they've started to have fun as I've talked about it more. It's actually, if you look up what I have, a lot of people have widow's peaks from when they're kids. And I'm like, oh, so some of this is rooted in that. And I know what you mean. I know what you mean of like, I don't want to have to be the one to sit and research this because. It's not easy reading material. And if it's not a factor, I don't want to have it sitting in my head my whole life. I don't want to have to sit here going, this thing that's not happening, is it going to happen tomorrow? You kind of want to cross bridges when you come to them or else you just sit there going, I have too much information in my head and the information can actually lead to more anxiety, more panic, more stress. So, well, my whole maternity leave has kind of been this like, thing, like nothing good has come and he like pushed me or compilation pictures and he's like look at the things that have happened like there's pictures of like our oldest feeding the baby or holding her or meeting her for the first time like those moments that like we would have probably not had the opportunity to see as much of if it weren't for being that mom and having this bizarre leave so there is a lot of good things within the layers you just have to dig a little deep yeah. Yeah. It's um you're one of these people I I've I've had this experience on this show before where very often the people who have who have been forced to be immensely strong are the ones who talk in the most chill way. And you may be the greatest disparity in the history of the show between just yeah, I can just say this and it's chill 
And then you also realize that you're talking about the doctors who you feel fail in their responsibilities to you and your child, the way you have to navigate the education system, the actual physical traumas that you have to help your daughters through. And you're just talking about them all like this. It's one of the things I've learned in the in the years of doing this show is just a lot of times the people who have to kind of bench press the most emotional weight are somehow the ones that are kind of the most zen. And I, I kind of find it unbelievable in your case. Not always. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, I definitely have lost it. I've turned a lot to writing as a means for getting out all of the thoughts of what I'm thinking and feeling of all of this mess that we're unpacking. But like, if I don't stop at some point and find something positive with my girls, like, I feel like that's letting me down. Like, my job is to have high expectations for them and to help them to get to those places and to let them kind of weave through their own little stories and make sure that like like I don't they don't need to be seen as like for their disability like that's not who they are it's part of them but that's not what defines them and I want to make sure that they know that is your five is your five-year-old at an age where she's becoming aware of her situation does she know about it uh she knows that her belly didn't work that part she knows I think she's aware that it's harder for her to communicate and she gets really frustrated when people don't understand what she's saying, because it's not that she doesn't have the vocabulary or the words, it's the articulation piece that makes it harder. And she has so much to say that like, you know, the, her mouth is not catching up with the, how quickly her brain is moving. And so like, I think there's that piece, but she makes a lot of sense. She's funny. She's friendly. Like she's super cute. So that's a bonus for her. I mean, I do think it's important though, like to tell, like she needs like at some point, like it is important for her to know like things are different. Like I will say to her, like like when we're going down the stairs, and she's like, "It's really hard." And I say, "You're right. It is really hard for you to go down the stairs by yourself, but you can do hard things." And let's figure out how we're going to do it. Like yes, like she should know what's challenging for her, and she should know that like there's a reason why. But she also should know that there's ways in which we're going to conquer it together. I just started weeping. I just wept. I didn't expect that. You've been so chill. But when you said that sentence, you can do hard things and you should know how to do them. That's a, what a, a thing you wish you never had to say to a child, let alone your own child. But what a what a healthy way to to view some stuff that I bet you wish wasn't a thing you ever had to deal with. Exactly. I mean, yeah. And I see them, like, my students and I teach and I look at them and they're, like, struggling, but, like, it's not, like, them solving the math problem that really matters. It's that, like, crazy struggle that they went on to try to figure out what it was they needed to do or where they were going wrong. So, like, not just looking at, like, a beginning and an end, but seeing all of those little steps within they're solving problems or working their way through life, whatever it may be. I got to listen back to this one because I, I, and I, I think 
now that I'm a parent, I feel like this is uh, something I didn't even know was such high praise, but I feel like uh, thinking about the way you're out here parenting is going to make me a better parent. If I can really remember what you said today. I mean that. Thank you. I've been joking that someday I will write a book. I don't know what it will be about or who will buy it. Well, as someone who's written books that very few people have bought, I could say it's it's worth it. Like most books, first of all, here's the secret of the publishing industry. Most books tank, like 85% or 90% of books tank. And then they just try to pray they get the next J.K. Rowling or Stephen King. True fact about the publishing industry. Secondly, I hope you write that book because... I'll never forget my first book when they had made those early, you know, they make these galley copies so you can go through and have your last look of like, is everything in order? And when you open up that envelope, when they send it to you and you're holding a book you wrote in your hand, if that's really a thing you want to do, don't worry about who's going to buy it because it feels really good. It feels really good to open that envelope. I hope you write it. I hope you give yourself that satisfaction. And I think you'll have a lot to say, and I, uh, I bet, I bet there's going to be a surprising amount of people who want to, want to uh, read, read what you've written. Especially other parents who are dealing with rare conditions. I bet there's, I bet there's people out there who obviously aren't one, one of the thirty families in your family situation, but who are in their own version of that, who might want to go. What do you do? What do you do when you have a a family member dealing with something so rare that you can't even find doctors who know how to address it? That's that's hard. There's going to be people out there who need the help. The people who have children with some sort of rare things, like they experience like that sense of getting it, but then also that same sense of loneliness or like you get to some degree, but like you can't fully relate because everyone's experience is so entirely different. Well, we only have about 40 seconds left, so we're wrapping up. Just want to reiterate, you've, you've been so chill throughout this whole call, but you've really, there's been so many high-impact things you've said, and I feel like, uh, I, I really do feel like I learned a lot. I feel like I learned, I'm, I'm in the chaos of figuring out how to raise a kid, and I feel like you've given me so much food for thought, and I bet I'm not the only one. And I want to let you know that I'm sending you a lot of love and your family a lot of love and that little baby. I hope that she uh, she keeps making progress and heading right where you need her to go. Thank you. And hopefully I will keep my head calm and cool and we'll all get through this together. Yeah, and then occasionally uh, rage, you know, ask your daughter to leave the room and just rage at some doctor who pisses you off. <laughs> I'm sure that's happened too. <laughs> Oh, never. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, have a great day. I'm I'm sending you all, all the positivity, all the love, and uh, I want both those little ones to uh, to to just be as happy as they can be. Thank you. You as well. Caller again, sending you so much love so much positivity just like i said also have to say i realize i i have one of the most big the biggest missed opportunities for a joke maybe in the history of the show i think you may have even been 
setting me up for it and I missed it and I should have said it when you were on the call when you talked about how your five-year-old is moving her stool around and yet your children both are born with a condition where they cannot move their stools I failed as a comedian there there was a joke to make with your you know hopefully in a way that you would have enjoyed and laughed at so I'll just say it now anyway caller you're truly inspiring your kids are lucky to have you to know that your kids are in the situation they're in and they're going to be so safe, so protected, it's unbelievable. And I thank you for calling. Thank you to Jared O'Connell. Thank you to Anita Flores. Thank you, Shellshag, for the music. I'm starting to do some shows again. ChrisGeth.com if you're looking to come out and laugh. Hey, if you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe. If you're on Spotify, hit follow. If you're on Stitcher, hit favorite. Really, really helps the show when you do. Check out the entire back catalog on Stitcher Premium, stitcherpremium.com slash stories if you want those details. Thanks so much, everybody, and I'll talk to you next time.